compared to other denominations, we get off real easy in the congregational church. Unlike the Catholics, Presbyterians, and Episcopalians, we do not recite creeds and confessions every Sunday. However, we all know the Lord's Prayer, most of us by heart. That's because our church ancestors insisted that praying the Lord's Prayer be a Sunday morning ritual. They not only wanted us to memorize it, they wanted us to write it on our hearts, to etch it in our minds, to whisk it into our spirits. And I believe they did this because they believe the Lord's Prayer is not just about the salvation of our individual souls, it is also about the salvation of our country and our world. So come along with me now as we take a closer look at this classic. In the Gospel of Matthew, the introduction to the Lord's Prayer is just as important as the prayer itself. And when you pray, said Jesus, do not be like the hypocrites in the synagogue. Do not pray for the poor and the oppressed in your house of worship, and then as soon as you leave the building, support a secular system that does just the opposite. And when you pray, said Jesus, do not heap up all those empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Rather, pray simply. Pray from your heart. Pray honestly. Pray for healing. Pray for justice. And feel free to hurl prayers of lament and doubt toward heaven as well. Because gut honest prayer doesn't always get you what you want, but it always gets you what you need, which is that peace that passes all understanding. Do not be like the hypocrites in the synagogue. Do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles. Taken together, these words are Jesus' way of saying that his prayer is neither Jewish or Christian. Yes, that's right. The Lord's Prayer is not a Christian prayer. Rather, his prayer is all-inclusive. It is worldly. It is a universal prayer that anyone can pray. There's a lovely example of this in Jerusalem. It is commonly believed that Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer on the Mount of Olives. Today on that very spot there is a convent. And if you walk inside the big iron gate, you will see a large courtyard. And the stucco walls are decorated with plaques all over the place. And on each one of those plaques is the Lord's Prayer in a different language. The very first panel is Icelandic. Walk a little further, and you will see the Lord's Prayer written in Hebrew and then in English. Go a little further, and you will see it in Aramaic. Continue walking, and you will experience the Lord's Prayer in 111 different languages. There is even a panel in Braille. Recently, I read that the Lord's Prayer is being prayed in one of the world's languages every minute of every day. And that, I believe, is music to Jesus' ears. Our Father who art in heaven. Like all of us, Jesus was a product of his time and culture, which in that day was extremely patriarchal. At the same time, it is unlikely that he believed God had a male anatomy, that God is an old man up in the sky. And so I believe in the year 2022, he would very comfortably pray, Our Father but also our mother. After all, he was the one who portrayed God as a mother hen who gathers her chicks. Hallowed be thy name. 
Hallowed comes from the word holy, meaning to be set apart, to be worshipped. Another way to say it is, holy be thy name. Biblical scholars point out that in Jesus' day, it was Caesar's name alone that should be hallowed. In fact, one of Caesar's other titles was Savior. So when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, hallowed be thy name, it was a direct challenge to Caesar's rule. I'm reminded of what happened in Buenos Aires years ago. In 1976, the military dictatorship was in charge. The public was starting to organize and resist. So the leaders began arresting first the media, then professors, and finally students. Anyone who was heard speaking critically of the dictatorship would suddenly disappear from their homes and dorm rooms in the middle of the night. When asked by reporters why this was happening, the government said they were waging war against a communist conspiracy. Well, when the parents of the students questioned why their children were not in local jails, the government stated that they had been taken to other prisons. The parents began to suspect the worst, which turned out to be true. The government we now know killed between 20,000 and 30,000 of its own citizens. Many of them were students. And learning this, some of the mothers of the disappeared children began to meet secretly. And in their anger and their profound grief, they came up with a plan. They would protest what happened to their children. The location of their demonstration was the Plaza de Mayo, directly in front of the Pink House, which is the equivalent of the U.S. Capitol. So every Thursday afternoon, the mothers came. And each of them wore a small white bandana on their head, symbolizing a diaper. And written on those diapers were the names of their missing children. Every Thursday they came, and right there in full view of the government, they walked quietly in a circle. If anyone asked what they were doing, they replied, we just want to know what happened to our children. There was no civil disobedience, no violence, not even a protest sign just a group of mothers walking in a circle. On the third day, the dictatorship dispatched troops to break them up. They arrived with armored personnel carriers and with large caliber guns mounted on top. The troops drew their weapons and surrounded the little group of mothers, but they kept walking around in a circle quietly. Soon a large crowd gathered, The commanding officers ordered his troops to do whatever was necessary. And then it happened. As the soldiers closed in, one woman dropped to her knees and she began to pray. She dropped to her knees and she began to pray the Lord's Prayer. She prayed, hallowed be thy name. A second later, another mother followed until they were all on their knees praying the Lord's Prayer over and over again. And it was too much. One of the soldiers defied orders and backed off. Soon the rest followed. With that, the commanding officer ordered them back into their tanks and they left. On that day, the dictatorship was disempowered, disempowered by a small group of strong, faithful mothers simply reciting the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. We live in a time when our democracy is coming apart at the seams. 
And I believe this is a symptom of something much larger, something that began many years ago, namely that our country has lost faith in a higher power and a greater good. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors and see very few people. The majority of our founding fathers believed in a higher power. Many of them were deists. They did not believe in a God who intervenes in history or that we should be a Christian nation. They believed strongly in the separation of church and state. Rather, they believed that a higher power, a cosmic greater good, is critical to a functioning democracy. In the early 1800s, a French political scientist named Alexis de Tocqueville visited the U.S., and he immediately became fascinated how this fledgling democracy welcomed religious belief. And he later concluded that belief in a cosmic higher power was essential to the preservation and the prosperity of a free democratic society how it served as a long-term counterweight to two, the two main threats of democracy, materialism and the fanatic support of a dictator. In his words back in the 1800s, when authority in the matter of religion no longer exists, people become frightened, fatigued, and agitated. Does that sound familiar? As a result... Because they have lost faith in a higher power, they give themselves over to another master. Because they have lost faith in a higher power and they're anxious and confused, they give themselves over to another master. Jesus continues with the same theme. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Episcopal Bishop William Willimon said, this is the most dangerous thing we can say together in church. Because when we pray thy kingdom come, in that instant religion is no longer a private affair. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There he goes again, Rabbi Jesus is mixing politics and religion up at the pulpit. My preaching instructor, the Reverend John Buchanan, put it best. To say that religion and politics don't mix is to say that religion and life don't mix. That's because God's kingdom on earth, God's greater good, is all about mercy and justice for all. It is why on Christmas Eve, we do not sing, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn rabbi or even Savior, Rather, we sing loudly and proudly, glory to the newborn king, and that is countercultural liberal theology. Give us this day our daily bread. Please note the plural here, not give me this day my daily bread. Rather, give us this day our daily bread. Translation, in the spirit of Christ, we are called to take only what we truly need. It is knowing that our ravenous lifelong quest to fill our wants will never be satisfied, that we will always be hungry for more. And as a result, we will take way, way more than we require, leaving other people's essential needs unmet. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
This is both a very frightening and a very freeing invocation. What Jesus is saying here in no uncertain terms is the following. There is a dynamic and mystical correlation between forgiving someone and being forgiven by God. Until we forgive our neighbor, our relative, or our friend, we will never experience the true freedom of true forgiveness ourselves. To put it another way, to put it a little more in a secular fashion and an everyday way, if you throw up a bitter wall of silence between yourself and another person, you do it to God too. You may be freezing them out very effectively, but you're freezing out God as well, and that is no way to live. And finally, let us lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to go back to the original language to understand this one fully, and Matthew's rendition, I think, is the best. Do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. That line is hearkening back to the day when Jesus struggled in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was tempted by the evil one or the devil. Now, in the Bible, the devil is called the father of lies. The devil's goal is to empower himself by disempowering other people, by saying things about them that are not true. Using his tongue, he lights a little fire. He tells little lies or conspiracy theories about people to cause division and fear. He does this so people will give themselves over to another master. It all begins with a little fire. A little fire that is fanned by partisan news and social media. A little flame that over time morphs into a raging forest fire. May we never forget, may we never forget that both slavery and the Holocaust were founded on a lie. Somebody's little tongue started that. The devil's goal is to get us to swear allegiance to his kingdom, to hallow his name. And just to make sure we understand this temptation, this constant danger to our faith and our democracy, just to make sure we don't forget it. To their everlasting credit, our Protestant ancestors added these words to the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.